So we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, the parables that are in the Gospel of Luke. This is our fourth week. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I, uh, I said if Jesus had a greatest hits album of his parables, the Good Samaritan would definitely be on that album. Well, this week we are looking at the parable that would be probably the, the first track on the greatest hits album. Uh, we're looking at the parable of the lost son. Sometimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son. But we're actually going to take on three parables this morning, uh, where the parable of the lost son, this very famous parable, is the last one. Uh, because Jesus told all three of these parables together, and they all have the same basic theme, which is of something that was lost being found. Now, the last one, the parable of the lost son, uh, you know, chances are, if you have been hearing sermons for very long, you've heard someone give a sermon on this parable. If you have been here at St. Paul's very long, you've heard me give a sermon on this parable. It gets talked about a lot, and that's for good reason, because it's a parable that teaches us something very foundational and beautiful about who God is. So... Uh, if you are somebody who hasn't been around church very much in your life, then I pray that as you hear this parable, possibly for the first time, uh, that you pay very close attention. And if you're somebody who has heard it a million times before, I pray that this morning the beauty of it hits you afresh. Uh, but like I said, okay, this is part of a series of three parables, and the theme for all is lost and found. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, open to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together around the scriptures, around your table. Lord, we invite you to work in our hearts today. Lord, even if we've heard these parables many times before, uh, we pray that you would speak to us through them, that you would remind us of core truths through them this morning. And we pray, Lord, if those core truths have never moved from our heads down into our hearts, uh, that they would make that trip this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Every week so far in this series, I've been emphasizing that we've got to pay attention to the context of Jesus' parables in order to really appreciate what he's saying. And here is the context. Uh, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are upset because Jesus is spending time with sinners, people who would ordinarily be considered outside of God's family. When you hear tax collectors, I want you to hear people who are uh, on a different team politically. Because the people who were Jewish, who were tax collectors, were seen as people who had sold out to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire wanted people to collect money from the Jews in taxes, but the Jews thought, many of the Jews thought, we shouldn't be under um, the authority of the Roman Empire. We should be sovereign, right? So anyone who was a tax collector was seen as selling out, um, abandoning the nation of Israel 
um, they were on the wrong political team. And then sinners just speaks generally of people involved in what would be considered immoral, unlawful behavior. And yet, Jesus is hanging out with these people, and not only is he hanging out with them, he's eating with them. And that's a big deal because in those days, who you ate with said something about who you consider to be a, a sister or a brother. It was an expression of, of your identity. Now, I don't know if it's still like this, but I remember that when I was in public school at lunchtime, kids tended to sit at certain tables, and the table that you sat at said something about who you are, right? It said something about your social status, about your interests, maybe even about what kind of music you liked. Where you sat said something about who you are, and the same was true in ancient Palestine. One of the sources that we have from around this time has a rabbi saying, let a man never associate with a wicked person, not even for the purpose of bringing him near to Torah. Uh, Torah refers to the scriptures, the teaching of God, right? Don't associate with a wicked man even for the purpose of bringing him near to the scriptures. And so when the religious leaders saw Jesus hanging out and eating with these kinds of people, they saw in that an opportunity to criticize Jesus, right? And, and to accuse him of being a sinner himself because this is the kind of company that he keeps. And Jesus knows that they're muttering about this, and so he responds by telling this series of three parables. This is his response to this attitude that the Pharisees have. All right, so let's look at the parables. Verse 3. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. You might know that Jews aren't supposed to be touching pigs. Pigs are unclean animals. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This guy has hit rock bottom. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. All right, so three lost and found parables, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And in each parable, what is lost is found, and there is joy. Now, I hope that all of us can identify with this experience of something that is lost being found, and then the joy that comes from that. Um, about three years ago, my parents' dog got very, very sick, and uh, she wouldn't eat anything. She lost a ton of weight. Um, this is a, a Shetland sheepdog, and she was older, 12 years old, and we thought, oh, the writing's on the wall. You know, it, it doesn't look good here. And... Um, she needed a risky surgery where there was no guarantee that, that she would make it through it. Decided to have the surgery. She barely made it through it. She recovered. And then she got to come home on Christmas Day. And there was so much joy in that. And she lived another two and a half years after that. A happy two and a half years. And, you know, I always loved that dog, but... Whenever I got to see her for those two and a half years, there was this extra joy in it because it was like, I can't believe you're here, right? I thought you were lost, but then you were found. Joy, relief. Uh, I'll give another example. Over the, the last year or so, uh, there have been times where people from this church who we have not seen since before the pandemic began, are here. And sometimes there are people who Keith and I have wondered, will we ever see them again? And uh, I asked for Keith's permission to share this. Um, 
when we see people that we haven't seen in a long time, there's so much joy in that. Even if we don't get a chance to have a significant conversation with you that Sunday morning when you're back, it's like the joy that comes from that carries over for days for us. Because we thought that you might be lost to us, that we wouldn't see you again, but then you're found. Maybe you've had the experience of uh, losing and then finding a wallet or keys or your phone, you know, and right when you thought it's over, it's not coming back, then it turns up, you know that relief, you know that joy. Or maybe uh, you've had the agonizing experience of uh, someone you love being ensnared in an addiction, you know, to, to alcohol or opiates or some kind of drug and their life is in shambles. And then they, they enter into rehab, they go into recovery, they turn their lives around. I mean, the joy that can come from someone you love, you know, a, a spouse, a son, or a daughter, being lost and then being found in that way. Huge relief, incredible joy that comes from that. And what Jesus is doing through these stories is he's saying, you know that feeling, you know that kind of joy, that is what God experiences when a sinner comes home. That is what God experiences every time someone who is estranged from him turns their face toward him. Heaven rejoices. The angels celebrate. God doesn't just want quote, the good ones. God wants the ones who have gone astray. Now, of course, the truth is that we have all gone astray. But, you know, even the ones who have gone really far off the path of righteousness, God still wants them to come home. God still wants you to come home if you consider yourself to be in that category. Like the prodigal son, like that one wayward sheep that's off from the other 99. Okay, he still wants you in the family. He still wants you back in the fold. Even if there is a bunch of sheep in the fold, God still cares about that one that's wayward. You know, many people who see themselves as far from God, they assume that if God exists, he must just want to punish or destroy them. But these parables tell us and this is a, a big idea I want you to take home today. These parables tell us that God is far more interested in finding you than in destroying you. God is more interested in welcoming you home than punishing you. And we see that in at least two ways in these parables. I want us to notice two things. First of all, notice the pursuit of the lost in the first two parables. The pursuit, right? The shepherd leaves the 99 to go out and find that wayward sheep. The woman tears apart her house to try and find that one lost coin. Okay, these are supposed to be pictures of God's attitude toward lost and sinful humanity. And the greatest example of that attitude that God has is Jesus himself. 
Jesus is what it looks like when God tears his house apart looking for that lost coin. Right? Because Jesus is God in the flesh, come from, come from heaven to earth to a manger, the humility of a manger, right? And then to the pain of the cross. All of that is God pursuing the lost, pursuing lost and sinful humanity. And those, those parables are pictures of that pursuit. And they're pictures of the reality of what Jesus is doing right now. And then the second way that we see God, how God is far more interested in finding you than destroying you in these parables, is the, the mercy that the Father shows. Incredible mercy. You know, the, the son asked for his inheritance before the father died. Normally, you know, the father dies and then the inheritance, inheritance is willed to the son. But the, father, the son asks for that inheritance before the father is dead. And then what does he do? He goes and he takes that inheritance and he leaves. He goes off far away. And what that tells us is that the son is more interested in the father's money than in the father himself, than in any kind of relationship with the father. Right? And the, he, he takes all that money and what does he do with it? He squanders it. He, it says that he, he spends it all on wild living the older brother says he spent it on prostitutes. Like, what, what a terrible, shameful waste, right? And then when the son comes home, he recognizes, right? I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But what does the father say? The father puts the ring on his finger, which is a sign of the fact you are my son. He welcomes him home and he throws a party, a celebration. Okay, now remember, this is all in response to the Pharisees muttering about Jesus spending time with sinners, right? It's all an answer to the question of why would Jesus, a holy man, a rabbi, spend time with these kinds of people? And Jesus is saying, why? Well, because the Father in this because like the father in the story of the parable of the lost son, God is more interested in welcoming sinners than in destroying them. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Now, just to be clear, okay, none of this is meant to indicate that there are no consequences to our sin. Right? If, if the lost son had remained out in the far country, he would have starved to death. Right? Uh, if that wayward sheep was never found and brought home, he would have died out in the wilderness. But the point of these parables is that God doesn't want us to stay that way. Right? God is far more interested in welcoming us home than punishing us, far more interested in finding us than in destroying us. So if you think of yourself as someone who is far from God this morning... Uh, I want you to hear God's invitation through these parables and come, come to him. You know, don't tell yourself, well, I've gone too far astray to come home to God. No, you haven't. Don't say, well, you know, I've squandered too much time and money on wild living. God's not going to want me. No, that's not true. 
And don't say, you know what, I don't even know the way home to God. I don't even know what that would look like. You know, like the, the shepherd who picks up the sheep on his shoulders, Jesus can carry you home. Jesus can show you the way. All right, we're going to shift gears here because these parables are not just for the purpose of reassuring those who feel far away from God that they can come home. That's part of it. But they're also for those of us who already feel like we are close to God. And they present us with a question, a challenge, which is this. Will you celebrate the grace of God? Will you celebrate the grace of God? Did you notice that in each parable, there is an invitation to a celebration, right? When the shepherd brings the lost sheep home, he says, celebrate with me to his friends and neighbors. When the woman finds her coin, she does the same thing. And when the father welcomes his son home, he throws a party for the neighborhood, and he also invites his other son to be there. He actually pleads with him to come into the party. But the older brother doesn't want to come. Well, why doesn't he want to come? Well, he's angry. He's, ang he's angry that his brother spent all that money. You know, he feels like if anyone deserves a party, it should be me. I was a good son. I didn't leave. I didn't waste all that money. I didn't dishonor my, my father. So he's jealous. He's angry. He thinks this is unjust. And let's be honest, he's got a point, doesn't he? But I love the father's response. My son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father doesn't love the older brother any less than the younger brother. He just wants to celebrate. But was lost is found. And that's where the parable ends. And notice it doesn't have a resolution. We don't know what the older brother did. Did he decide to go in or did he not? He has two options, right? He can stay bitter or he can join the party. And what Jesus is saying through this parable to the Pharisees is, will you join the party? Are you going to stay bitter or are you going to come in? He's saying, are you going to complain that I'm eating with sinners? Or are you going to celebrate the fact that sinners want to eat with me? He's saying, are you going to seek the lost? Or are you going to get, consider them a lost cause? Will you celebrate the mercy of God? Will you share the mercy of God? Or will you stand scowling outside the party? As followers of Christ, we should be the kind of people who love mercy. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world desperately needs people of mercy. People who are willing to forgive. Mercy is like water in the desert. 
one of the most popular TV shows these days, um, it just won a bunch of awards, is uh, called Ted Lasso. And um, I hear everybody talking about this show right now. Uh, Sarah and I watched the first two seasons. Just a heads up, not a show for kids. <laughs> um, it's, uh, the language is pretty rough. But it is a phenomenon right now. And uh, if you don't know anything about it, it is about an American man who improbably ends up as the coach of a UK soccer team. And if you know anything about UK soccer, you know they take it very, very seriously. He is completely unqualified for the job. Uh, but he ends up in this position. And it's a cultural phenomenon right now. And I believe the reason is primarily because Ted is a person of mercy. Um, he is not defensive of his own honor. He has this ability to focus on other people, to be others-centered. Uh, he is forgiving. And uh, he gives people second chances. And because people are longing for mercy, they're drawn to this show. And, um, you know, even though he doesn't know much about soccer, he is able through his personality, to cultivate a community, a healthy community at this soccer club, which helps them to be a better team, and more importantly, helps them to be better people. And uh, recently, I looked up one scene, one pretty famous scene from the show on YouTube. If you've seen the show, you might, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. And it's a scene where Ted forgives someone of something pretty terrible that they did and something that was terrible that they did to him. So the person confesses this, expresses regret, and then he forgives. And I was looking at the comments under the YouTube video and the number one comment said this, Ted has made me rethink my entire life philosophy. No show has ever achieved this. And that comment was the number one one because it had been liked 1,700 times. People are longing for mercy. And when they see it demonstrated, it can be life-changing. It can make them rethink their entire life philosophy. Now, people should not have to watch Ted Lasso to see an example of mercy, right? They should be able to see it in the followers of Jesus. One of the phrases that I hear thrown around a lot these days is cancel culture. Is that a familiar phrase to you guys? And uh, people say that we're living in a cancel culture. And what they mean is that our culture has a moral law and if you fail to uphold that moral law, if you transgress it in some way, there's just no coming back from that. Um, once that, that law is transgressed, if that becomes public, you will then be treated with scorn and contempt, and um, you deserve to lose your, your job, your, your livelihood. Um, you deserve to have shame heaped upon you. 
Uh, that's what people usually mean when they say we're living in a cancel culture, that, that this is the, the attitude that, that permeates our society right now. now. I want to be careful not to be misunderstood here because I think sometimes people cry cancel culture when they really shouldn't, you know, because sometimes what's going on is just a healthy social pressure to be respectful and to do justice. And, you know, ideally, in any healthy society, there is going to be some social pressure to do the right thing, right? So I don't want to say that every accusation of cancel culture is, is fair. But I do see evidence that the bar for what is considered forgivable in our society is, seems to be getting very high. And often, apologies are treated with such cynicism that forgiveness just is not an option. Restoration isn't even possible. I think we need to recognize if we want a culture where people are able to learn and grow, it needs to be one where forgiveness is also possible, where there are people of mercy. You know, all of us need forgiveness sometimes. All of us should be able to see ourselves in the younger brother, you know, even if we've never squandered an inheritance, there are all ways that we are like that younger brother. We've all needed mercy. We've all needed someone to be like the father in that story. We've all needed someone to be like Ted Lasso. We've all needed someone to be like Jesus. And these parables ask us, will you be that person? Will you be the person who is more interested in reconciliation than in punishment? Will you be the person who is more interested in mercy than in judgment? Will you join the party? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for these parables. And we thank you for what they reveal about who you are. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, which we don't deserve. We thank you that you seek what is lost. That you're not content to just have us go our own way, but that you draw us home. You welcome us back. You extend open arms to us. Father, help us to go into your arms and help us to extend that same kind of mercy to others. In Jesus' name, amen.